Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> Kia ora everybody, I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories, and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care, and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. In today's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Shiva about the birth of her son, Hudson. Hudson was born prematurely. He surprised everybody coming at 25 and 3. Shiva takes us through their experience going into premature labor and also their journey in the NICU. I will let Shiva take you through the rest of their journey and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi Shiva, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, no problem. Thank you for having me. No worries. Would you like to tell our podcast listeners a little bit about you and your family? Of course. Um, So myself and my fiancé Nick live in Auckland with our little boy Hudson, who is five and a half months, um, but 11 weeks corrected as he was premature. And what was the journey like to pregnancy for you guys? Uh, It was... Really great. We had decided that I would come off contraception and we would just see what happens. Um, and so that happened, but nothing happened for us. So I thought that I would go back on contraception. Um, but of course, as soon as you do that, something happens and, and yeah, yeah, along came a baby. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And did you have many symptoms in your first trimester? No, it was really easy pregnancy. I had no morning sickness. I was slightly tired, um, but no tender breasts, you know, all the classics that you hear everyone complain of. I had absolutely yeah. nothing. Um, so oh, lovely. Yeah, it was a dream. <laughs> oh, that's great. And were you doing or did you plan on doing any, um, I guess, educational pre-work before your birth? Like, were you reading any books or were you planning to go to antenatal classes or what were your thoughts on a birth plan? Um, so yeah, I picked up the birth book skills by Juju or Gigi someone and my plan was to read that. I had been given really good reviews about it um, because I had planned to have a natural birth at birth care um, and I was going to start antenatal classes on the Thursday book. Prior to that, on the Monday, my water's broken, so I had no opportunity at all to go to anything, and I only read the first two chapters of the book. Uh, so I went in quite unprepared, um, but yeah, it was as prepared as I could be in the circumstances. Yeah, and so you obviously got about halfway through your second trimester. Were you experiencing any extra symptoms that you hadn't in your first? Um, no. So I had gotten a little bit of pain on the Sunday prior to my waters breaking. We had been in Wellington for the weekend enjoying, I suppose, a mini baby moon. And on the flight back, I was really uncomfortable. Felt like I had, um, that maybe baby was up behind my ribs and I just couldn't sit down on the plane. Explained to the air hostesses and they were like, no, you're all right. You, you do whatever's comfortable. You will need to try and sit for takeoff and landing, but otherwise you're fine. And yeah, I had gotten really large and I was saying to all my friends, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm really big. And of course your friends are never going to go, yeah, you're (laughs) massive. You're a whale. Um, so I'd gotten big, but had not really thought too much of it. Yeah. And so what were the signs um, initially that something had changed? Did you have any appointments with your midwife that you thought maybe something was going to happen and come early or it was just a complete surprise? 
complete surprise, I went for my gender scan at 19 weeks and the woman took a wee while looking around and I said, you know, oh, is this, is this normal to take this amount of time? And she said, oh, I'm just measuring. You seem to have a lot of fluid around the baby, uh, which can be an indication of polyhydramnios. And I went away and she went away and they called me back and they said, uh, we'll get the, the senior sonographer to have a look and that'll all be detailed in a report to your midwife. I went to my midwife a week later and she checked over my scan results and said, no, everything is normal. I repeated to her that they'd mentioned polyhydramnios and she assured me that nothing had been reported on uh, of the kind. And then at 24 weeks and one day, I had hopped off the bus from work to walk home and sure enough, I thought I started wetting myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was not because I expected like the movies to have this massive gush and you'd really know about it, but it was nothing like that. Thought I'd wet myself um, to the point I even recorded a Snapchat video to send to my friends. And <laughs> the exact thing I said was don't get pregnant because you'll literally piss yourself. Uh, and then <laughs> paused it and was like, Oh no, maybe I'll call Nick. So I called Nick and told him what I thought I'd done and he was like no keep walking home you'll be fine just get changed and um, actually met my mum on the way home she drove past me and she looked at me and I was in light blue jeans and she goes um have have you wet yourself (laughs) I was like oh I think so and she said all right jump in the car and I'll, I'll drive you the rest of the way home don't worry too much about it. Um, And then I started to have some cramping and that was the first sign that I thought maybe this isn't normal. Yeah. And so what did you do from there? I imagine it would have been quite scary and and first time mum, so really unsure of what to expect. So what was next? It was. So I got home and I took off my pants and my underwear and I kind of looked and I had black underwear on and there was almost a cloud around where it was wet and I know what urine looks like. It doesn't tend to have that um, that cloud. So I called my midwife, couldn't get through to her, had tried two or three times, called the backup midwife, and she said, oh, no, you know, this is my off time. As long as you've left a message, I'm sure she'll call you back. Something didn't really sit right in my mind, so I called Healthline, and they uh, said that I needed to be seen at the hospital within three hours, and As soon as I hung up from them, my midwife called me back and I let her know what had happened. She said, where are you? And I said, I'm in the street across from your practice. I only live two seconds away from her. She said, all right. She said, I want you to hop in the car and you need to meet me at Waitakere Hospital. And at this stage, I'm like, oh, yeah, she's just going to check me. It's all going to be fine. And Nick walked in the door from work and he started to get changed. And I said, oh, uh, if you could get changed, we need to jump in the car and go to the hospital. And he just looks at me like, you're nuts. What are we doing? Um, <laughs> jumped in the car, got to the hospital. The hospital midwife checked me in and she said, oh, you know, can you go and do a urine sample for us? Went and did one. And while I was doing the sample, I felt something come out, looked in the toilet and it, um, this funny mucusy looking thing and that was when I went oh you know I know there's something called a mucus plug because obviously I had no idea I hadn't gotten to the stage of learning all this stuff so called Nick and said can you send the midwife in and she came in had a look and she went oh yeah that looks to be your mucus plug come back through to the room and by that time my midwife had shown up and They put me on the machine that measures if you're having contractions or not, as well as baby's heartbeat to make sure that baby's not getting into distress or anything. And they did a protein swab and said, you know, take two hours to come back. If this comes back positive, it's an indicator that you will give birth in the next two weeks. And in my mind, I was like, no, no, (laughs) that can't be Mm -hmm. right. I'm only 24 weeks. You know, I I hadn't had a baby shower. I had nothing set up for this baby. And I don't think it really hit me. I all took a quite a relaxed approach to it all. And the two hours later, it came back 
positive and they said, oh, you know, it's come back positive. So we can sometimes get false positives, but it's not too likely. And I said, all right, all right. And I, they went out of the room. They said, we're going to get an obstetrician in. And I picked up the phone and I called my boss and he goes, oh, hiya, mate. How are you? I said, oh, I'm good. But I don't think I'll be at work tomorrow. My waters have broken. And he went, oh, okay, okay. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And he since told me, he said, you were so relaxed. I didn't know what to say in terms of, no, you probably actually won't be back at work. Um, (laughs) So I was so relaxed because in my mind, this, I don't think I accepted it. It wasn't going to happen um, for me. As far as I knew, my baby was going to stay put. And that was that. Um, The, my midwife then came in and she said, oh, there's discussion of sending you to hospital. There's one bed at Auckland. Otherwise, you'll have to go to Middlemore. And I'm, you know, I live in West Auckland. That's a while to, while to go. Uh, and she said, oh, but, you know, you don't seem to be having painful contractions, so maybe we'll send you home. And the mama and me went, no, I'm not going home. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah. obviously, if I had gone home, I probably wouldn't have stuck on bed rest and it may not have worked out how it has. Um, I said, not. I said, I'm having contractions. I said, I wouldn't say they're painful, but I'm uncomfortable. And they went, all right. Obstetrician came in. He said, I've got your bed at Auckland Hospital, so we'll get you transferred. And they wheeled me out on the bed and into the ambulance. And I had a midwife accompanying me and they were full lights and sirens the whole way to Auckland Hospital. And I was so oblivious I think to what was happening or maybe it was a lack of acceptance. I said to the midwife, I said, Oh, do you have to come with everyone you transfer? And does everyone have to go lights and sirens? And she looked at me a bit funny and she said, no, there's a high chance you could give birth on the way to the hospital. And I think that's when it really clicked for me that, um, that it was all go and, and something was happening. Um, so we got to Auckland hospital and I had ridden in the ambulance by myself because Nick had obviously driven to the hospital. So he needed to go home, get me a couple of things and then come up. They rushed me straight in for a scan and checked baby, checked that he was all right and that his heartbeat and he was moving. Uh, and that's when they looked at me and they said, Oh, you, how much water do you think you lost? And I said, Oh, quite a bit. It was almost down to my knees in my pants. So that was what I was going off. And she said, you've got a lot of fluid still in there. Um, and they went, oh, yeah, you know, that's all right. And they popped me through in women's assessment unit to a room to be monitored. Uh, and that was on still the Monday night. And Nick and my mum came up and they came in and spoke to me and said, all right, we're going to give you these drugs to try and slow down your labor. We're going to give you a steroid shot and explained that should baby come now, his lungs weren't going to be ready for the outside world. Um, so the steroids would hopefully help those to be able to breathe on the outside, basically. Um, yeah. And gave me all the drugs on the dot as soon as they could. And that first Monday night, it was just agony of contractions, no sleep. Um, Mum and Nick were in the room and just agony, but also I think being terrified that now I've realized what I'm actually in for and, you know, 24 weeks, I'm supposed to get to 40. But I don't think anything in my mind, even in the whole time, I never thought to myself, this isn't going to be okay. In my mind, I just had to keep a positive outlook and and that it was all going to be okay. Um, so luckily for me, the drugs had, um, seemed to work their magic. And by the time mm, Tuesday morning came around, everything had settled down and I was transferred to the maternity ward, um, and popped in a bed and they came through and said to me, you're on bed rest. You are not to get up to go anywhere unless it's to the toilet and you come straight back to bed. Um, you must sit down when you shower. You can't stand. Don't have hot showers. Oh and gosh. be quick on your feet, basically. Um, yeah. And it was terrifying. And the Tuesday night, we had our second visit across to labor and delivery um, after a day of 
constant pains and you think that these pains have lasted so long you're like surely something's happening um and the Tuesday night was sent back to labor and delivery and luckily enough they were able to give me some more drugs to try and hold off uh but when they brought me back into the ward the next morning when things had slowed down they said to me we've given you as much as we can to stop your labor if baby comes now there's nothing we can do to hold off and that's terrifying in itself I mean Mm. and sent through a neonatologist through to talk to me about what was going to happen if my baby came at 24 weeks um and basically what would happen from here was advised not to google anything she said your doctor googles never your friend in these circumstances um and at this point I hadn't really told anyone what was going on where I was I didn't want to worry friends um so I just had my mum my dad my stepdad my close family and Nick's family who knew where I was and I think it got to day three where I finally told my friends sent them a Facebook message and said look here's what's happening um here I'm on bed rest baby's going to come early and you have all these plans to do but all that's going through my head because I'm an organizational freak is I haven't got a nursery the push tube not set up I haven't had a baby shower um and all these things that seem so superficial now looking back um but yeah they were just the things that I think the nesting part of me wanted and that in my mind baby couldn't come until I'd nested and until baby had a bed set up at least but (laughs) that wasn't the case yeah and so were you did they tell you that you'd have to stay in hospital basically until the baby was born or what was the plan or thoughts there so it was all hospital because I had lost my mucus plug um, and my waters had broken there was too high a chance of infection if I went anywhere else um I had asked about, you know, going home for the day and it was just, there's no chance that if you go out and get an infection, infection goes straight to baby. Um, And it was just, yeah, I was in hospital in a bed to wait it out. And at this stage, it could have been days before I gave birth and they had said to me, you know, some people are lucky. Some people are in here months and it doesn't seem lucky sitting in a hospital bed for months. But if it means that baby gets that extra wee while to cook then really you are pretty lucky so I was on in bed obviously um being monitored three times a day on the contraction monitor for the whole eight days I was having contractions um and it got to the point where I was just over it and this was my regular day I was waking up through the night having pains and being checked at least once a day by gynecologists and obstetricians to check that my cervix wasn't opening or shortening, having ultrasounds. And what they found on the ultrasound was, although I was leaking fluid for the full eight days before I had Hudson, that my waters were pretty much doubling around baby, um, which is unheard of even with polyhydramnios. So just more and more fluid and I was getting bigger and bigger and bigger even though I was losing fluid every day and there were I think three separate days where I had big gushes um and they it was always yeah more fluid was incoming and they really had no reason why so they got me to do a my diabetes test because obviously I hadn't gotten to the stage of having to do that and I had gestational diabetes and I kind of had an inkling. I have a family history of diabetes and I know the signs. Um, tired, really thir- excessively thirsty, which I was. Um, so when they turned around and said to me, oh, you know, you've got gestational diabetes, there was no surprise to me, um, which could have been apparently an explanation for all the fluid. On the Tuesday, I woke up and in me, I felt something different. I My pain were more intense, but they were further apart. It was kind of every 20, 25 minutes. And just something in me thought, you know, today's the day. It's going to happen. It was the first day Nick had gone back to work. He'd been off for a week, but we were at the point where we didn't 
know when baby was going to come. He can't sit around in the hospital all day either. Uh, and I just took the day really slow. I sat in the chair. I watched some Netflix and just relaxed. It was also the first day I was allowed off bed rest. I was told I could go for one walk to level five to get a coffee and straight back. I wasn't to go anywhere else. Um, and I just took the day really slowly. And about 2.30, my mum called me and she said, oh, do you want me to come up or I can go home and make dinner and can bring dinner up to you? And I said to her, oh, you go home, and make dinner and can bring it up. And hung up from her and something in me went no I think you need your mum so I called mum back and I said oh actually can you just come straight up and then I called the call bell and got one of the midwives to come in I said I'm feeling different the pains are different they're further apart um I just thought I'd let you know and she went all right and they got an obstetrician to come in and examine me and him and I had been having a bit of a laugh it had been the day that uh, the glass and the sky tower, there had been a crack in it. And we were having a bit of a laugh about that because he had been up there the day before. And it, then he went to examine me and he looked back at me and he had a completely different facial on him and just looked a, looked a bit pale. And he said, oh, your cervix is opened and you are three centimetres dilated. And I was like, okay, well, what do we go, what do we do from here? And they headed out the room and next minute there is about four midwives and the obstetrician coming back. I had no IV lines in me at the time. So every man and their dog were trying to get an IV line into me or to give me a steroid shot or that extra dose of antibiotics um, because it was all go. By the time my mum got there, she walked into the room she said, oh, how are you feeling? I said, you need to pack up my room. We're going to delivery. And, you know, as a knowing as a mum now, I'm sure she was terrified and she never showed that she was, um, which was such a relief. And I picked up the phone to Nick and I said, uh, you need to come now. I said, quickly go home and get changed. Uh, you need to get here. And he went, oh, is everything all right? I said, I'm on my way to delivery. And he jumped in the car I don't even think he told anyone at work that he was leaving and just sped home and then sped to me found out after that that he was just an emotional wreck that whole drive um between work home and the hospital by the time yeah. I got to labor and delivery um they didn't want to keep examining me because the more they interfere with your cervix the more chance that it'll open up and start to contract more yeah and they wanted me to contract as slowly and for my cervix to dilate as slow as possible uh, to give baby every chance. We had been told that the jump from 24 weeks to 25 was a huge jump in terms of survival, um, but the goal was to get to 28 weeks, and I was 25 weeks and two days at this point. So everything in me was going, all right, well, we've reached the first point, so he's going to be okay. Um, and they, a midwife sat down next to me and she said, oh, sometimes uh, premature labours, you don't need to get to 10 centimetres dilated. She said, so I won't be leaving this room until we have to hand over and someone will be here with you while that handover happens just in case. And it was everything I'd wanted. I'd wanted a drug-free birth I'd been booked in at birth care um to birth because I wanted this natural experience where I could walk around or be in the water or do what I wanted I didn't want drugs going through me at all um but the second I walked into labor and delivery I was put onto a bed and hooked up to a uh, magnesium sulfate drip which um basically hardens the skull around baby's brain so that baby's brain's more protected. But this stuff yeah. burns. It's like fire going through your veins. Um, and it's, I'd say the pain of that was worse than the contractions I was having. And every flinch of yeah. your arm, you can feel it going to where you twitch your arm. So you're trying to stay as still as possible while having these contractions. 
um, wasn't allowed to move at one point. I said, I need to shower. I said, I can smell myself and I, I don't like it. So she said, all right, you can shower. The door has to stay open and Nick has to go with you. So Nick got me in the shower and I was allowed to have a quick shower and wash what I felt I needed to wash and get straight back into bed. Um, but in terms of the room, like there was laughter. My mum and Nick made me laugh the whole time. I had a student midwife who was absolutely amazing. We spoke about TV shows and it was just all about keeping distracted for me. Um, and they didn't check me again until probably 10 past 12 the next morning. So we had been in, in the room a wee while. I said, oh, I've got this pain in my back. And she went, all right, we'll check you. Um, and sh- they checked me and they said, all right, uh, you've actually got into 10 centimetres. It's, it's go. But we hadn't gotten to the point of, here's what's going to happen. So before I knew it, there was probably about 20 people in my delivery room um, running through with incubators and setting up for where Hudson was going to go and there was every breathing apparatus you could think of for him. And when they said to me, it's go time, I looked at the midwife and I was like, oh, can I have some pain relief? And she goes, oh, no, it's a bit late. And I go to it, but what about Panadol? And she just looked at me as if I thought Panadol would help the situation I was in. <laughs> she went, no, Panadol's not going to work and it's not going to kick in. And I was like, oh, okay then. So um, she said, I can give you gas, but couldn't concentrate on the motion of sucking in the gas and trying to push at the same time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, up, up my legs went and we we didn't know what to expect. We had been told that, we likely wouldn't hear Hudson cry when he was born because he wouldn't be able to breathe on his own. Um, and they had wanted to do delayed cord clamping, but it would depend on the state of him when he came out. Um, and I wouldn't get skin to skin because he would be wrapped in plastic as soon as he came out because his little skin would be far too delicate um, to, to be touched, which is heartbreaking because everything yeah. that you read is – you've got to do skin to skin immediately and that'll bring in breast milk in and it'll create the bond with baby. And to hear that, it was kind of like, oh, well, all right then. So, um, yeah, I didn't push for very long, probably about 20 minutes um, and had another big lot of waters come due to the polyhydramnias. There was so much fluid that came out. There were puddles on the floor um, just water actually everywhere was disgusting. <laughs> um, but Audi came and we were lucky enough that we could do del- delayed cord clamping and, um, lying back. I hadn't looked at him. I hadn't, you know, done this sit up to try and try and find him because there were just so many people around and heard this beautiful wee cry come from him, which was a nice sign after hearing that he wouldn't because it was kind of, the first he's okay and he could breathe on his own and um it was just a really beautiful little moment um and yeah surrounded had my mum there and Nick and it was just everything I could have wanted even in the circumstances that we were in really um yeah and so from there did you so you said you got to do a little bit of delayed cord clamping what was the process after that um so once they had done the clamping and Nick got to cut the umbilical cord they whipped him up to one of the little stations in the room and put um a breathing mask over him and they pretty much did that wrapped him in plastic put him in a little bed and whisked him straight across to Nico and I said to Nick I said you need to go with him no part of me wanted Hudson to ever be alone in that part. Um, So before I knew it, they were out the door and it was quite a surreal moment. I was sat there in a room where there had just been 20 people and my baby and my partner to them going out and it just being me, two midwives and my mum. And it was this crazy realisation of, well, where is everyone and and where have they gone? So um, I got up, jumped in the shower um, which was looking back now, I'm so grateful that I hadn't had an epidural or 
anything because I wouldn't have been able to get up on my feet and to shower. Got up, um, one of the midwives helped me shower and I came out to get dressed and I went to put on some black and white striped pants. She said, oh, do you have any other pants? You probably don't want to wear white pants right now. And I, <laughs> no part of me clicked as to why I wouldn't want to wear white pants. So I threw on these pants and um, packed my bag and I said to the midwife, I said, I'm ready. And she, the look on her face was like, where the heck do you think you're going? Um, but sure enough, along came, and Nick gave me a call and he said, I've got to do paperwork and I'm never the one to do the paperwork. Do we want to call him Hudson? And I was like, yes, that's his name. He's Hudson. Um, and then, so Nick finished off the paperwork and came and got me. And I think within probably 40 minutes of giving birth, I was up and over in Niku looking at Hudson and there was so many people around him and everyone's trying to get lines into this tiny wee baby. He was 1,007 grams when he was born, so just over a kilo, um, and he was 35 centimetres long. So in retrospect, he was such a good weight for a 25-weeker. Um, we'd been told yeah, that wow. from the start, and we were very lucky because it meant he could have that extra little bit of antibiotics and all the drugs that went on weight. He could have that tiny bit more. Um, so looked at, and I just burst into tears. There's just all these people, and it's never what you expect having a baby. Um, all these people working on them and IV lines that, and it seems like they're the same IV lines that they put into you as an adult that they're putting into this tiny little yeah. human. Um, and one of the nurse specialists said to me, she said, you can come in and look at him quickly. And they all backed off um, and let me look at him and say hi. And um, I don't think I was allowed to touch him. And then they said, all right, can you come back in a bit? And I said, all right, all right. Went for a walk down to my room and obviously I wanted to be with my baby. So that five minutes was enough. Um but it wasn't. So <laughs> yeah. came back and, and saw Hudson and checked that he was okay and he was and um, headed back to the maternity ward for the night and I got there and they said to me, all right, you're going back to the same room um, and because it's a shared room that can't stay with you. So here I was, this new mum with no baby and no mm. partner um, in a room and at some point during the night the woman that I was sharing the room with her baby must have been somewhere for the start of the night and then her baby was brought back to her so I was awoken at like 4am to this baby crying that wasn't my own and I had mm. no one and it was just yeah. this I was like oh god well, what have I what have I gotten myself into and then there's a midwife in there and she comes in, she says, all right, she said, you need to express, you need to get the colostrum out to give to baby. And I had no idea about expressing. I had not got to that point. I knew I wanted to breastfeed, but in my mind, he was just going on the boob, but obviously he couldn't. So this midwife is yeah. standing over me, expressing colostrum into this tiny syringe and doing it for me. And I'm just so out of it, exhausted, um, having someone massage my boob which is a surreal experience in itself and at 5am I got up and walked down to Nikku and walked into his room and it was just absolutely crazy and um met you have like a family liaison nurse and she came into me I think at 9am with this little information pack and you're given a bit of paper that says um you know welcome to the Nikku group or club or something like that she said it's the paper says it's never a group you want to be a part of, but welcome. And I think that's so true. Like there's so many amazing people I met through being in Niku, other mums, nurses, doctors, but I could have just as easily lived my life with having never to have met any of them. Um, if it had yeah, meant that yeah. I didn't have to sit in a hospital with, with my baby. Yeah. Um, and so what, what happened from there? Were you, you obviously had to recover from, birth and were you planning or did you need to stay for a few nights and then were you able to go somewhere else or were you able to stay in the hospital because Hudson was in NICU or what was the process from there? 
Uh, so two days later, I was discharged um, from hospital and sent home. Uh, it, it's not really, you don't really go to birth care because you don't have a baby to take with you at that point. Um, so I was discharged home um, with the, okay, you need to express every three hours, morning and night, um, you just need to do it. And I was like, all right, okay. And Nick took me home for the first time and I just sat on my bed and I just cried and cried and cried and cried and Nick's trying to console me and we were living with my mum at the time and she came down she was like you're okay it's gonna be okay and all your emotions are coming out just full-on anger yeah. and sadness of you don't know what it's like because you never had to leave your baby in a hospital like you got to bring your baby home and trying to express and it's the last thing you feel like doing because you just want to sleep because you're so sad. Um, but it was just, that was our new norm. But we got up and just had to do it every day. And I think probably for the first week, the whole time I was at home, I would just sit there and cry. Um, but of course, you can't sit in the NICU ward 24 hours a day as much as you'd love to. It's just not not good for your mental health and you watching this tiny little baby through an incubator um and that's when we kind of got into a routine of going into Nick in the morning and Nick took the first week off and it was a whole our world was completely tipped on its head um we yeah. I didn't want to set anything up for the baby um we it was also touch and go and in the moment like I said earlier I said there was never I was never negative. There was never any chance that something was going to happen to my baby and I was never going to lose him. But looking back now, you know that there were such touch and go moments and there were moments where he'd stopped breathing and they've got this red bell that they press and feels like the whole hospital comes running into the room. And um, yeah, it was just crazy. It was, we were doing, you know, 12, 13, 14 hour stints at the hospital right from when he was born until we took him home and we spent 86 days in total in the NICU and I'd say probably maybe 50-ish of those days were spent in level three care which is your most intense level. Um, we went through every type of breathing assistance you can. He was ventilated um, with a tube down his throat so for the first week we never heard a peep out of him because with that he can't make any noise and he was this <laughs> this tiny wee thing that when he was born he had like he didn't have nipples and his balls I suppose as such hadn't dropped from where they sit further up um, yeah. so it was watching this human and his eyes were still fused shut for probably the first three weeks of being on the outside he just didn't open his eyes they were closed and yeah it's crazy that you've watched all these things happen like you've literally watched a human grow nipples and someone's yeah. eyes fuse open and change color and and slowly grow but it was just it was just all our norm to go into NICU every day and, and keep a positive mindset as well. Um, you know, when you're in that room, baby vibes off your energy and if you're negative, then they you're kind of told that they'll get their energy too. So you just try need to stay as positive as you can. Um, and when you walk out the doors is, is when you can, can have your moments, um, which there were definitely a lot of. Um, I think there were more tears than I've ever shed um, happened in those those days um, but it's also terrifying and you know you put your you put the hospital's number on a different ringtone so that when they ring you in the middle of the night you never miss it um, and there was one point where Nick and I had both gone to sleep and we both missed our phones ringing and the hospital had rung the home phone. We wake up to mum running through our bedroom doors. I thought the hospital's called, the hospital's called. And your whole heart drops because they will never call you mm. if something's wrong. Um, so I'm, and you, you never, even now I still don't think I've really forgiven myself for not picking up the call and for sleeping through it. And 
you know, he, he was fine in the long run, but um, it's just, yeah, every time your phone rings, it's a pause of, do I want to pick this up? And I know I've spoken to so yeah. many other mums whose babies were in there and it was, do I really want to answer this call? Because you don't know what they're going to say. And it's always a, I think you need to come up and you don't know, you don't know what's going to be awaiting you when you, when you get up there. Yeah. 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 And then what was your, I guess, physical recovery like through this stage? Obviously you've given birth and your body has to recover from that. So you've got a lot of emotional um, turmoil and, and really hard things going on. How did you find your physical recovery at that time? It was crazy. So when I got up to shower after having Hudson, I looked in the mirror and it was like my whole stomach had gone and they had measured me while I was in delivery and my stomach was measuring the same size as someone who was 35 weeks pregnant at 25. And I looked in the mirror and I turned side on and I was like, where's it gone? My, like my stomach was back to pre-pregnancy and it was crazy. And it's like, that's not what it should look like because I've seen people after they've had babies and I know that they've still got, I suppose, a mum tum. Um, but that just wasn't there for me and it was crazy. Um, but I just, yeah, that was that. And my stomach was gone and part of me felt strange for that happening. And we had undenied about announcing Hudson was born because obviously we didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, and my, I said to Nick, um, I said, well, I'm discharged. People are going to see me out and what are people going to say? Like, when I saw you a week ago, you were huge and now you're not. Um, so I just kind of saved it by announcing his birth that we wouldn't have the questions of, well, what's happened here and da, 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 and having to explain to yeah. whoever you saw that you had had an early baby and they were in hospital. And it's not like we were going out anywhere, but even the hospital trips back and forth and the going to get breast pads and um, books to read um, because that's one of the things they give, they tell you to do is to read to baby. Um, I was like, I just, I just don't want to deal with the questions. Um, And I bled for quite a while and then it started to slow down and Easter weekend I was sitting next to Hudson's bed and I looked down and my pants were covered in blood and I stood up and I looked on the chair and this is probably about eight weeks postpartum. And I looked at the chair and the armchair I'd been sitting on was also covered in blood. And I said to the nurse that was looking after Hudson, I said, is this normal? I'm bleeding a lot. Mm -hmm. She said, all right. She said, take a seat. I'm just going to call women's assessment unit and see if they can have a look at you. So, all right. So I sat back down um, and she goes, ah, all right. She said, I'm just going to get you a wheelchair and we're just going to pop you to women's assessment. Everything's fine. They just want to look you over. Um, but I had retained product that was still left there. Um, and because when I'd gone to the hospital, my original midwife had handed me over to care of Auckland. I'd never been placed with a community midwife. So I hadn't been checked for anything um, post-baby. I was like, this is normal. People bleed. I haven't bled in six months or however long it had been. Um, This has got to be normal. But if I knew what I know now, that's not normal to to bleed and everything like that. So, yeah, I had to go in and have that removed. Got in there and they saw it, we'll give you some antibiotics and then come back in two days if – the bleeding hasn't stopped and it hadn't stopped. And they went, all right. They said, have you eaten this morning? And I had only had a coffee. So I've only had a coffee. And she said, all right, we're going to take you into theater. And I was like, oh my, I was like, no, I've got a baby in Nico. I can't leave his side for as long as it's going to take you to find some placenta in me. Um, but once all that had been removed, I just, I couldn't believe how much better I felt. Um, like it was just like this whole like a lot of the emotional roller coaster had gone. Um, and my breast milk was, had been really up and down. I'd be getting a lot expressing, but it just like flattened out and it was all just same amount pretty much every time I pumped. 
And I just, after having that, I felt like a new person. It was like pre-pregnancy me. Um, and yeah, it was just on the mend and, and got on with it. Yeah. What a shame that, um, it took eight weeks for that to happen and that you weren't given some decent aftercare, even if it wasn't through a community midwife. Um, yeah, it seems like such a shame that you had to wait eight weeks to feel like that again. It was. And I spoke about it with one of the neonatologists. She said, she came and found me and she said, Oh, I've heard this because obviously all the nurses and the doctors talk about what's happening with the families as well. She said, oh, you know, this isn't okay what you've gone through and we need to figure out a way to sort this. And I was like, yeah, because I'd hate for that to happen to any other mother. Um, Yeah. Because I'd been in hospital for all this time and I was like, oh, maybe I'm overreacting. Like it's just a bit of blood. Um, And I know that everyone can be different. So it was such a shame and I think that's what – I really hope for future is to have someone that is going to follow through and to be able to notice that stuff of why I'm bleeding so much and and what's going on on the inside. Like I hadn't been informed about, I was talking to other mums that they had already been given contraception and they had, I, no one even told me you couldn't, you know, have sex for six weeks. Not that I was wanting to do anything because I was so exhausted, but (laughs) yeah had no yeah. idea of contraception or any of that kind of aftercare. So um, it was a real shame. And I hope that by you sharing this story of um, the experience that you had, it helps others to know what they should be expecting and asking for in, in their postpartum care, even though it um, doesn't change what happened to you. I hope that it will change experiences for others and you in the future as well. Yeah, no, I, I hope so too. Yeah. And so what was the um, process next? Obviously you said Hudson was in the NICU for about 86 days. Do you want to take us through taking him home and what that process was like for you? Yeah. So we were moved through from level three to level two, which is down a bit of a notch. And in level two, it's a lot more hands-on parenting and you don't have to ask anyone if you can pick your baby up and you can just go in there and do it and Um, you're allowed to hold your baby as long as you want, Um, which I was told when we were leaving that the reason we were leaving um, so early, you could say, is because of how much skin to skin we had done. Um, So you're told to expect to take your baby home on due date. So we're counting down to this due date to take him home, and we were lucky enough to take him home uh, just shy of 38 weeks. so we were in that middle care and that was when we got the chance to be able to give him his first bath and um, to give him lots of cuddles and lots of love and finally have people come and meet him because it's such a, it's such a strange feeling. You've had this baby, but your friends can't come and, and see your baby or yeah. and your family can only quickly pop in um, and it's kind of, I said to Nick one day, I said, it feels like I've just made up that I've had a baby because no one's allowed to come and see him and no one knows he's real. Um, but sure enough, they all met him. They now all know he's real. So <laughs> that's what matters. Um, and then we were moved through to level three. And the whole time that we were in the NICU, I'd said to my family liaison nurse, I said, we're going home tomorrow. And this was from the get-go. This was from like my second day in there. And she came in and she said, what do you think about going home? And I was like, no. I was like, you can't trust me with this baby. Um, and they move you into what they call PIN, um, Parent Integrated Nursery. So you stay in this room overnight with baby and um, have to breastfeed and make sure breastfeeding's established and baby gets weighed every day. Um, and then you can take them home. So we did a week in pin the first four or five days I think there'd been a miscommunication and although we were in pin he was still going back at nights to be tube fed um which wasn't what should have been happening so they our family liaison nurse came in and she said oh how was your weekend and it had been a long weekend and I said oh I said we had to take Hudson back every day and she was like no he was supposed to be with you so from there, they put him, put him in with us, and I had the nurses coming in and checking on me, and it's like a wee hotel room, I suppose you could say. It's got a TV in your own private room, but it's still very much a hospital, um, 
and we were able to take him home after seven days in pen and it's this unreal feeling you know we'd weighed him the day before after he'd spent the night with us and he'd lost weight so he wasn't allowed to come home and it was another day and I took him in and weighed him and she was like oh I think he'd only he'd only gained like 14 grams or something but it was a gain <laughs> and she was like he's gained yeah. weight and I just looked at her and I was like you're lying he has like and it was just this overwhelming moment of oh my god this means my baby can come home and he was coming home on oxygen uh he's still on oxygen now but we were taken through all the course on that day of how we plug him in and turn him on and um how to order oxygen and how to look for if his breathing's not right like flaring nostrils or an indraw or, or he's pale or a bluish tinge um, taken all through that and the oxygen was delivered and um, yeah we we got to take him home and it was this crazy moment of bringing in the car seat and getting to put him in the capsule <laughs> and putting little clothes on him and making sure he was warm enough because for the first time he was going out in the outside world and it's crazy one of the other mums had said to me who left earlier than me she said I've waited for however many days to be able to leave this unit but now I'm leaving like I don't want to and I so relate to that because <laughs> the nurses and the doctors yeah. they become your family they're your friends you know I'd been in there for my birthday for Mother's Day for e our first Easter as a family and they do become your family yeah. and they love your children I had one nurse and she came up to me and um, she said, when I'm on night shift, I sneak in and I give Hudson cuddles, um, which was so nice <laughs> knowing that when I went home, there was still someone that loved him and that gave yeah. him cuddles and that he was never alone as such. Obviously, there was always a nurse with him, but that he was still yeah. getting that and went to leave. And one of the nurses who kind of saw us out, she shed a bit of a tear and she was like, well, you can't really take him. And I was like, I know, well, it's crazy <laughs> for me to be taking him and to be leaving. Um, and it's like, it's a moment I could never explain. I mean, having Hudson was obviously overwhelming um, and such a happy moment in my life, but it really doesn't beat actually taking him home. And he is, yeah. he he's yours for the first time. Um, you know, you don't have to go by anyone else's time of this feeding schedule or, um, when to bath him and how to dress him and things like that. And it was like, we were, we were on our own for the first time and putting him in the car and driving home. And there's just been no better feeling than, than actually being able to take your baby home, which, you know, was 86 days later, but yeah. such an incredible feeling. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And how is Hudson doing now? How old is he? And do you go by his corrected age or his birth date? Do you want to take us through that and what that means for those who might not have heard the term corrected age before? Yeah. So we go by both, obviously. So he is, his actual age is five and a half months, but corrected is goes off the day he was should have been born. So developmentally, he will hit everything at his corrected age rather than his developmental age walking talking yeah. teeth all that kind of thing um so I found it easier that when I go out and people say oh, how old's your baby and I'd go oh he's three months and people would look at me like I was a bit nuts because I still had this teeny <laughs> tiny human and I was like oh having to go through the whole he's premature and this and that um so we go a bit by both um he's on track for his corrected age now he's 5.8 kilos at last last way um we came home on 250 mils of oxygen and since then he's moved down to 125 mils and he is allowed four hours off every day of oxygen which is nice just to not have to be connected to yeah. a tube and it's crazy being able to walk around the house with him not connected to something rather than yeah. just walking <laughs> you know, 20 centimetres in front of you. Um, but it's been it's been a crazy journey. He's developing such a little personality and he's growing all the ways he should. And we have so much support at home. We have a home care nurse that comes once a week and 
we have neurodevelopmental occupational therapists that come and watch him and check that everything's going well. Um, and we've also got some amazing support um, from the Neonatal Trust. So they run a developmental play group once a fortnight for babies of NICU that you can go and you can, it's like a, I suppose what you'd have if you had gone to antenatal classes of all these babies that, you know, were born around the same time, but these are all babies from different ranges and these babies with feeding tubes and there's babies on oxygen and there's babies who have trackies and um it's it's just crazy and all these people relate to you and and what you're going through and the emotional roller coaster um which is quite nice because you can come out and you feel so alone they say to you you know don't take your preemie out in winter you just best to to leave him at home so he doesn't catch anything in it i mean you can't sit at home all day, every day for months. It's incredibly boring and very emotional as well. Um, Feeling very alone because he can't be around other kids. So friends that do have kids can't be around their babies and it yeah, can make you feel a wee bit isolated. So I'm very glad that there are those things in place for mums. You know how you talked about earlier your scan when they thought that you had extra fluid and it might be the condition, I just can't remember what the name of it was. Mm-hmm. Polyhydramnius. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, was it that? Is that the reason why you had the extra fluid or they think it was the gestational diabetes or they haven't confirmed? Uh, so they sent my placenta off for research to be done on it, which hopefully would come back with the reason why he came early. Uh, but that came back negative for anything what they think is that because I was so big and because there was so much fluid on my cervix that my cervix was like all right no she is full term we're ready to go and that's why my waters broke um but you know they can't tell me if that would happen again or um and you're at higher risk of having a premature baby again if you've already had a had a preemie so it's a little bit terrifying not knowing an actual reason and it's not like they can go in and drain some fluid out because you can't interfere with baby obviously um so they think that's the reason yeah yeah I guess that makes it difficult for you um I'm not sure if you're planning on trying to have another baby or anything like that but I guess it would always play in the back of your mind absolutely and every time we think about it and People are, you know, as soon as you've had one baby, people ask the question of, oh, well, when are you going to have another? <laughs> but, okay, hold yeah. on. Um, but it is, and it's something I definitely go back on when thinking about future children of, well, do I want to put another child through what Hudson's been through, but also selfishly wanting more babies? So it is a bit of a back and forth on that one. Um, so yeah. we'll just see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you've got, um, I'm sure you've got your hands full at the moment anyway. <laughs> no, so absolutely. that can wait for now. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Shabar, and sharing your story. Is there anything else that you wanted to add before we close? No, I think just for any other mums who've been through NICU, just making sure that they are getting emotional support. And I mean, if I, could have listened to someone that had come out the other side on those eight days that I was sitting in hospital. I think it would have helped me a lot um, knowing that, you know, it was all going to be okay. And yes, there were so many terrifying moments in those days, but it's, it has all worked out okay. And he's perfectly fine. And um, yeah, we're just so lucky and to always keep a positive mindset. I think no matter what you're going through, because can make a difference as hard as it is to some days be positive and you know I'm probably guilty that I haven't there's days where I sit there and cry and um but you do have to just keep positive and and know that it'll all figure out eventually yeah no I think you the way that you talk about your story and and the mindset that you have is amazing so thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story I think it's one that others will get a lot out of and I'm really appreciative so thank you thank you for having me Jordan Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your feedback. So either leave a review on the podcast app that you're listening on or head to our Instagram at Kiwi Birth Tales and leave a comment there.
If you're interested in sharing your birth tale, then please head to the Instagram page and use the email link to get in touch. Thanks again for listening. I really look forward to sharing the next episode with you. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.